Well, it's so good to see you. If you're new here, thank you so much for, for joining us. Maybe you, you joined us at Christmas time and you're back, and I'm so happy that that's the case if that is you. Uh, I don't know if I introduced myself, so I will. My name is Eddie. <laughs> I am one of the pastors here at Grace, uh, and, and it's, it's a pleasure to be able to, to speak with you today. We have been, we took a break, but we have been in this series on the fruit of the Spirit And Paul talks in Galatians about this idea of what it looks like to walk in step with the Spirit, what it it looks like, as we saw on that slide, to live a life in the Spirit. And this idea is that God has, has given us his Holy Spirit in this new covenant, and what does it look like for us to walk in concert with what God, the Holy Spirit, wants to do? And some of the ways that we can confirm that God the Holy Spirit is, is walking and we're walking with him is that we see these aspects of his fruit in our life. When we've talked about love and joy and peace and patience and so, so on and so forth. And so today we want to say, what does it look like for us to walk in such a way that God's goodness is evidenced in our life? So we're going to read Galatians. We're going to get back into it. We're going to read Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. So go ahead and stand to your feet for the sake of uh, reverence towards the Word of God. And we'll read together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All right, you guys may be seated. Father God, I pray that that you would pour out your goodness upon us. Holy Spirit, we want to experience your presence. We want to know your ways. And we want to be able to perceive your goodness. Lord, let us see with clarity how you have, how you have put your goodness on display, specifically in, in your covenantal nature and in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Father God, we invite you to come speak through me. Help me to speak with clarity. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, this question that we're, we're asking as we consider the fruit of the Spirit is, how do we come to know and experience this fruit in our life? And I think we've talked about this a little bit, but it's, it's, it's beneficial to remember that, that if we were to just go say, okay, everybody, Next week, or this week, be more loving, kind, peace, patient, good. And we are all to go out. Apart from God's grace, we might fail. And I don't mean that to say that you're a terrible person, because I would fail probably first. But the reality is that there's something about walking in step with the Spirit that it's more than just pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. That there's an interaction with the Holy Spirit, with the presence of God, that empowers us to live this way. That really there's something that God does within and of, inside of us that that it it has its its source, it has its, its beginning, not in us, but in God. And yet, God still calls us to, to, to be loving, to be kind, to be faithful, to be patient. And so there's something that we have to bring to this equation as well. So I want to think about what it looks like to come to know and experience this fruit of goodness. And so in order to see this, we're going to go way back, way to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus. 
And we're going to look at a passage where Moses comes to know and experience the goodness of God. He prays and God actually says, I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. And, and so we, we see what, what God means when he says goodness. But before we do that, I want to consider some background. Now, most of you, I'm sure, are, are familiar with this story, but if you're not, Moses, he was raised in Egypt, he was an Israelite, and he was raised by God to bring the Egyptians, or not the Egyptians, bring the Israelites out of uh, slavery in Egypt. And so he does that, he brings them out of, of Egypt, uh, Pharaoh and his army is defeated, and they cross the Red Sea, victory at last. And almost immediately, the people start complaining. They don't like being out in the wilderness. They're getting bit by mosquitoes. Nobody likes living in a tent. Back there, we were living in the Hilton. They started thinking crazy thoughts, right? They were like, I think it even says that we had onions. Like, who is excited about onions? I mean, they're good. Yeah, I use them, but let's not get excited about onions. And, and so they, they begin to have this weird sort of a vision of, of what, what slavery was, right? And so... And just put yourself in Moses' position. You're listening to these people with this crazy talk. And, and God, in his graciousness, in his goodness, he provides them with what? Manna. Uh, one of our pastors on staff thinks of him as Twinkies from heaven. Right? They fall from the sky. It's the goodness of God. It's delicious. And he brings water from a rock. Right? We don't normally think of water coming from rocks. But God is expressing his goodness to them. This kind of agreement that he has chosen this people. He's going to use the term covenant. He is, he's made a, an agreement, not an agreement that they come as equals to the table, but as God being a benefactor to the people of Israel. And so he's taking care of them. And finally, they reach Mount Sinai and, and God calls Moses up because he's going to create, he's going to write this covenant. He's going to say, these are the, this is what the covenant is going to entail for you to be my people these are going to be the stipulations, what I'm going to require of you. These are going to be the punishments, the curses if you don't uh, obey my rules. These are going to be the blessings if you do. And all of this is, is the covenant of God. The, uh, we struggle to, to come up with the term because we don't really have covenantal things in our, uh, in our culture apart from marriage. And even that, it, it, because of the nature of how marriage is treated, it's a difficult leap to go from what we see in culture as marriage covenant to what God believes to be covenant. But, but for us to say covenant really means that God came as a, benefic, uh, uh, a benefactor, as the ruling uh, king to a lowly group, the Israelites, and he's saying, this is how I want to run the things. And, and he's going to give them this covenant. And I'm, I'm belaboring on this point because for us to understand God's goodness is for us to understand his covenantal relationship to us. And so God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, the, the, really the, the codification of this whole covenant. He's already mentioned the Ten Commandments, but he's going to talk more about it. Um, and while he's doing that, Israel, being the, the wonderful nation that they are, they decide, well, Moses is gone, so let's create a golden calf and start worshiping that instead. Right? That, that would be somewhat akin to, you know, I preach a sermon, and I'm not Moses, at all, but this is what you got right now. Uh, I preach a sermon, and I go, I'm, I'm going to prepare next week's sermon, and I'm praying, and, or maybe it's in a few weeks, and, and after a few, few days of, of not being 
you know, before your, your leadership, you're like, you know what, I'm kind of bored and I want to party. <laughs> let's go back to my former ways and let's go, let's have a part, let's just do it all. And so and then I come back on Sunday and instead of like coming to worship, you're like, we're having a party and there's fireworks and it's drinking and drugs, I don't know, whatever. It's bad. It's to the point that, that jo- Joshua thinks they're having, there's war happening. I don't, I've never been to a party where I sounded like, you know, that sounds like a war. <laughs> I mean, this is not good. And because of that, uh, Moses comes down with the, t- right? He's coming, he comes down with the Bible. He's like, hey guy, what is going on right now? Right? He, he's like, I got something exciting to say. Well, it, he's not surprised because God tells him, but we can pretend. Um, and he comes down and what does he do? He breaks them. And yes, it's an anger, but also it's an expression of what they have done. They took his covenant and they broke it. And then Moses says, all right, this is bad. There's going to be punishment for this. Who is on the Lord's side? And the Levites raise their hands and they kill about 3,000 people in judgment. Then Moses intercedes and, and God still punishes them with plagues. Now, again, put yourself in Moses' position, right? Your job is to take that people into a land that they don't want to go to and act like people they don't want to act like. I mean, it's hard enough to, to make our children act Amen. a particular way, let alone people that aren't even blood-related to you, right? Or at least closely blood-related. They are Israelites. And so this is where we find ourselves in chapter 33, verse 12. I'll read it. Just listen along. I'm in, Moses, uh, I'm in Exodus chapter 33, uh, verses 12 through 26, or 23, sorry. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me, right? How, who's going to come and help me right now? I need, you know, this is that tag team moment where you're, you're, you're the husband and wife and there's a kid and it's like, you need to help me because bad things are going to happen if you don't come in and tag in, right? Yet you've said to me, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight, right? God, you said that you know me and that you found favor. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me your ways. How on earth am I supposed to do this that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight? Consider too that this nation is your. This is this is your kid. This is your. This is your your people. And he said, and God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Now pause. Now before this, God had promised that the angel of the Lord would go with him. Moses was like, I don't care about an angel. I mean, angels are cool. They have swords. That's great. But I need. This is a God-sized problem, right? Unless you're going to smite them with the angel, I need God. I need you. And so this is a shift. Right? Moses has prayed and he's bent to the heart of God and God says, you know what? My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Right? He said, I just want to be clear. I don't want the job if you're not coming. <laughs> For how shall it be known that I've found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not that you're going with us so that we are distinct in I and your people for every other people, or from every other people on the face of the How? How uh, clearly does Moses see this? So often we come to God and we think, 
God, I just need your benefits. Please, don't send me to hell. Please, don't make the bill people come after me. Please, don't let my marriage come into ruin. And these are all fine and good things. But what does Moses say? God, please be with me. He needs God's presence. If he has God's presence, nothing else matters. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know your name. And Moses is like, all right, I'm going to shoot for the moon. I'm going I'm to go all the way. I'm going to push all my chips in to use all the analogies of gambling that I can use. Sorry. Uh, and Moses said, please, show me your glory. Now, for Moses, this was not just, I want to be awed by you. But there, there's, there's that. But, but there was a, he needed a kind of ballast in his soul that God was with him. Right? This, this, this request to, to, to see the glory of God. Moses had seen the glory of God before, not in its fullness because he was still alive. But he had seen God part the Red Sea. He had seen the cloud, which is literally the glory cloud, come down and lead the people. He had seen God's fire come down and lead the people in the evening and protect them in the evening, at night. He'd seen the glory of God, and this glory he associated with God's uh, approbation, uh, approbation his, his pleasure with, with how Moses was doing at his job. So he was saying, I need to know, I need to know that I know that I know that you're with me, and I, and I want to see your glory. And sometimes we need to know, right? We need to know that we know that God is with us. So it's, it's important to listen to how God answers Moses. And God said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will, will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Right? There's a holiness about God that, that for us as sinful, broken individuals to see God in his fullness, it would end us. But he said, you cannot see my face and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place where, by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. See, Moses had pursued God's presence, he had pursued God's ways, and he was ready to perceive. God's goodness in his covenant. Now, I, I, want, I want you just not to miss this. In verse 19, he says, I will make my goodness pass before you, and what? I will pro- proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Now, for us, names are, they're, in comparison to the biblical times, they're relatively insignificant. We don't necessarily think about, you know, I think Eddie means usurper. Edward means usurper. James means, uh, it's related to Jacob. I don't know, maybe Jacob means, see, this is my point. I have no idea what my name means. Barnes, maybe we had Barnes when I was, I don't know. There's an E in there, so maybe not. Maybe it's something completely different. We make books and we sell them. No, I wish that were the case. Um, but for, for in this situation, he's saying, I'm going to proclaim what my name, because his name represented his nature. And so what does he say? My name, the Lord. Now, God had been given several names, right? Uh, there were many names by which he had been called, but, but this one, Yahweh or Jehovah, 
The Lord, if you read the Bible and, and you see it in all caps, it, it means the Lord. This, uh, it's called the Tetragrammaton. It's, it's uh, four consonants. We don't know how it's actually said. But the point is, this was God's name that he used in relationship to his covenant people. This was the name that he gave Moses to tell the people of Israel, I, I am the one who's coming. And, 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 it, and it has some sort of connection with this meaning of I am who I am. But it's not just a, I am who I am because God is unchanging, although that's true, but, but it's, I am who I am, and if, if I'm for you in this covenant relationship, then I'm always for you. Yeah. That doesn't change. And so God says, I'm going to show you my, the part of my glory that, that you need to see, that I'm good, that my name means that I'm covenanted to you, and what do you say? And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So we see that Moses is promised that he's going to experience the goodness of God. Now skip ahead to verse, chapter 34, verses 4 through 6. Now I'll read a little bit earlier. The Lord said to Moses, this is verse 1, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablet which you broke, Right, he's gonna, we're going we're gonna to do this again. And that was, that was an expression of God reestablishing the covenant. Right? The, the Israelites had blown it, but they had not blown it to smithereens because what? Because God had unconditionally covenanted himself to them. He had chosen, you're going to be my people. I'm going to make this happen. Be ready in the morning and come up in the morning. No one shall come up with you. And then we're going to go to... Verse four, so Moses cut the two tablets of stone like the first and he rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hands the two tablets of stone. Then the Lord descended in a cloud, in the cloud, presumably that, that glory cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Right, there's that name. Proclaimed his nature, his covenantal nature. The Lord passed before him. Now, if, if we understand this to be correct, that that. Moses is in the cleft of the rock. He's kind of in between some cracks. And, and God kind of covers his face. He doesn't actually see a whole lot. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. But he hears this. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. When we experience the goodness of God and we understand it to be this covenantal loyalty that God has toward us, that, that overflows into this good you know, we, we have this saying, God is good all the time, all the time is God is good. And what we mean when we say that is like, well, God has met my needs, God has, you know, restored my marriage, God has, you know, helped my body, or, or God is with me even when those things aren't happening. And, and all of those things of God's being good all the time are expressions of his faithfulness to his covenant to us. God showed the overflow of his moral uprightness, his goodness in the context of this covenantal care from Moses and his people. And that's, that's a great story. But what about us, right? Because we are not Israelites. We are not in the wilderness, thankfully. We have McDonald's. I don't, well, McDonald's, manna. I'd probably take manna. But we've got sweet water. That's pretty, 
Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, yeah, that's God's food, okay. Although today, I don't get any food. Should have ordered twice as much yesterday. Okay. Bible jokes. Okay, Mark 10. Mark 10. What does good look, goodness look like for us? There was a man who came to talk to Jesus. And it says in, in verse 17, as Jesus was setting on the journey, a man ran up and knelt behind, beside him and asked, good teacher, what must, must I do to inherit eternal life? And we go on to find out that this guy's pretty cocky. He's like, obeyed the law. He's, I'm, I'm a kind of a big deal, guys. I mean, I'm a deacon and I go to church and I, I'm always there at the prayer meetings. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now listen, what is Jesus doing there? Yeah. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Is he saying that he's not God? Right. We know that Jesus is God, and we know that he claims to be God in, in multiple places. Even if you don't believe that to be the case, I'd be happy to have a conversation with you after service. Um, but what he's saying is, if you really think I'm good, then you have to recognize I'm God because only God is good. Because God is the fountain of goodness. And if God is the fountain of goodness, and I'm goodness, then I'm God. And, and Jesus' point in that moment is that you have to submit yourself to me. But what I want to say is Jesus, as God, is the personification of God's goodness. Right? Listen to these words. Think about what, what God had said. Uh, the Lord, the Lord, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I mean, that, those are the words that describe the character of Christ. Christ is God's goodness personified, incarnate. And in fact, we see God's goodness, this covenantal, I'm going to take my people and I'm going to provide for their needs. They are sinners and they are under my wrath and they need redemption. In the same way that the, that the Israelites needed redemption from Egypt, we need redemption from sin. God has said, I've chosen you, you're my people, and this is what I'm going to do. And he sends his goodness to the cross. And we see God's slowness to anger toward us as the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus Christ. We see God's graciousness to us as the law and, and the curse of the law is placed upon Jesus Christ. We see the love of God for us as Christ is abandoned and betrayed and ultimately experiences uh, this, this shunning by his Father in his human nature. God's goodness in Christ, God's goodness to us is expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, in Christ, we see the ultimate expression of this, this covenantal goodness. It's moral uprightness, yes. When we say good, like be a good boy, do good things, we mean like obey the law. But it's not just obeying the law. This is why the Ten Commandments get weird. Because sometimes we're like, Christianity is about the Ten Commandments. And I'm not saying the Ten Commandments are not important. Anything that God writes with his own finger is important. Um, but what did they start out with? 
I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. See, it was not just a a list of rules. Sometimes we treat God's morality as as a a vacuum in which we we live our life. Like, okay, we're going to not do this. We are going to do this. We aren't going to do this. We are going to... But that's not, that's not even the point. The point is we live this particular way and we don't live this particular way because we're living in relationship with God. Yes. We're living in covenant with God. And in this covenant relationship, this is how love and respect and honor is expressed. It's more than moral uprightness. It's covenantal care. So how, how do we... How do we pursue this fruit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. How do we pursue goodness in our own life? Much in the same way that Moses did. We pursue God's presence. I mean, that's what we do every Sunday, is we are not just up here performing, and I hope that you don't sit back and watch and think, man, this is a great performance. This is an invitation on all our parts to to experience the glory of God coming down in a palpable presence. And it's, it's our covenantal faithfulness to do exactly what Moses did when we considered the goodness of God passing before him and he worshiped. We pursue God's presence, not only on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday. And what does that look like in your own life? You, you read your Bible, but you don't just read it again like in a vacuum. Well, I'm reading the Bible and the words are coming in and going out. And the, but you read it as, as, as a, a message, as the word that God is giving to you. You read it as, as something that God intended for you and I to hear our, on our own behalf for our own lives. Not, not just as some kind of uh, encyclopedia or dictionary or something that sits outside of, of a relationship. This is a covenantal document. This is a document that teaches us and tells us this is what it looks like for us to live in relationship with God. We read our Bible. We pursue God in prayer. We pursue God in fellowship and relationship. Right? The presence of God is so clearly seen in situations where, where God's grace and his, his mercy are expressed through difficult relationships. Right? You, you, and maybe, maybe you experienced a few difficult relationships over this Christmas break. And the question is, and, and if it was hard and you maybe you're a little bit worse for the wear, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But what I'm trying to say is that is an opportunity in that moment to, to experience the presence of God and the goodness of God. Yeah. Both in your attempts to love people who are difficult to love and in everyone's attempt to live in unity where there's otherwise no unity. You know, there are a lot of things that, that make me pretty different from most of the people in this room. Um, you know, I don't know if most of us would, would sit down together and, you know, I, I can sit and watch football with you, but I'm basically going to ask a bunch of questions. <laughs> like, I know there's a ball and there's some guys and they're running and sounds like a good time. Sure, whatever. We're the nachos. And in the same way, my guess is that most of you are not going to be like, let's come over and we'll just read. You know, you get a book, I get a book, we'll sit down and read. You know, and, that, and that's okay. There you go. There's some unity. JC's just like, I'll do anything, but I'll just, let's sleep. Um, we can sleep too. That's, napping is good. But my point is that the presence of God can be pursued in, in context of relationship because really that's where we see the spirit at work in us. 
It's easy to say, oh, I feel the presence of God when I'm in my room by myself doing whatever I want. Right? And I talk about this all the time. But when I was in college, I was a super Christian. And I got married and I was like, I realized I'm not a super Christian. I'm just very easy to get along with, get along with when I'm the only one who has to get along with me. Right? We pursue his presence. Secondly, we pursue his ways. Moses was, he was in a tough spot. There was no escape plan for Moses. And so he, he, he was like, God, tell me what to do. I'm going to listen. You tell me what to do because it's either this or you kill me. And, then, and not even like joking. He was like, seriously, if, I'm not, if you're not in this, kill me. And maybe you're in a position where you're like, in this marriage, in this parenting situation, in this relationship, at this job, Lord, show me your ways. God's goodness will be, it will be, it, it will come up inside of you. It will be produced in you as you work through that difficulty. As you pursue him and you pursue the right ways of living life in covenant relationship with him in these difficult situations. In your marriage, the answer should not be divorce. The, the answer should not be, well, I'm just going to run. No, the answer should be, God, what is your way in this situation? What is your wisdom in this situation? What have you said for me in this situation? In that difficult parenting thing, it's not, we're not just saying, I give up. Bobby can do whatever he wants to do. Right? Teenagers, you're in the room. The answer is not, I'm not going to listen to my parents because they're stupid. The answer is, God, how do I live in a way, you know, parents, how do I live in a way so that they, they hear what you have to say and I can lead in a way that's honorable? Teenagers, the, the answer is, how do I live in a way that honors my parents as, as you, God, have called me to honor them and, and walk in a way where I can grow in grace better? Amen. Both of us have a responsibility. We, we pursue God's ways and then we wait and perceive God's goodness. God is good all the time and all the time God is good that we don't see his goodness is not evidence of the lack thereof it is evidence of our inability to see it but his goodness is there he has been gracious to you he's been gracious to me he's been merciful to you he's been merciful to me he's, he's been so good to us we see that in, in the span of all redemptive history in the Old Testament. And we see it at, at its apex in Jesus Christ. And we have the Holy, like we have the Holy Spirit who's going to be telling us and reminding us and showing us of his goodness. We want to perceive his goodness. And then, out of that overflow, we want to express mercy and grace. Slowness, slowness to anger, steadfast love. See, goodness is not just about obeying a list of rules. Goodness is about loving people well. It's about God's good nature, his graciousness, overflowing into benevolence, generosity towards others. If you look at the King James Version of the, the Bible, uh, the, the term goodness is not there, it's generosity. Now, I think there are good reasons to, to use goodness, because in our, in our culture, in our time, generosity is very tightly tied to money, and so I think most, most uh, translators, they want to they get the all-encompassing nature that I was trying to get at of goodness, 
but, but there's something to be said about the fact that good lives are generous lives. That, that when we experience, I mean, you look at God and you see how, how can we best define his goodness? How generous he is. He doesn't just give to good people. He doesn't just give a little bit to good people. He gives his best in Jesus Christ to people who hate him. To insolent, terrible, sinful, evil, rebellious, stiff-necked people like me. That is, that's good. That's good. And, and when we catch a hold of that, it ought to propel us towards being good towards others, to being gracious towards our children, to being gracious towards our spouses, to being kind and merciful and gracious towards our employers and our employees, to being kind and gracious towards our neighbors and those with whom we disagree. So that people look at our lives and they say, that person's good, you know, and they're, they're generous. With all, they're generous with their time, they're generous with their, their, their love, they're generous with their, their willingness to, to give pause and not just say, you know, I disagree with you, therefore I don't like you. They're, they're, just, they're generous. This is what goodness is. It's moral uprightness, but it's moral uprightness that, that expresses itself in these kind of covenantal, loving characteristics. We see it in Christ, and we experience it in his presence, in his ways, and as we open our eyes to see it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have expressed your goodness in so many ways. I thank you that you have expressed it supremely in the perfect life of Jesus Christ, that God, you came to earth to become a, a person, take on human flesh, to live a perfect, holy life, an obedient life, and that you died on the cross not experiencing goodness so that we might experience goodness. And you rose again on the third day as the supreme example of, of God's covenantal faithfulness toward us. And you invite us into that relationship to experience your goodness, to live in light of that goodness, and to share that goodness with others.